0: to the Radio Life Sciences Podcast for a behind-the-scenes look into GSLS, made by students and educators, for the scientists of tomorrow.
1: So welcome, welcome to our third episode of our special on mental well-being. My name is Harald Verreijen and, um, well, as you can expect, of course, I'm here together with Eveline.
0: Hello.
1: Hello. And um, today uh, we have two New guest, well, not really new, because we have one uh, returning guest, that's Lieke. Lieke, Goel, welcome, Lieke. Yes,
2: hi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Lieke, um, you're a student of uh, Biology of Disease, or so Graduate School of Life Sciences. I know you're in the second year now. So yes. you're, and I just heard that you're going to do your second internship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so tell us about that.
2: Uh, yeah, it's in a group here in uh, Utrecht, and um, the group of Victor Papersak. And we're going to look at the effects of a certain immunotherapy. So,
1: okay, well, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, our so is our student, and our expert today at the table is uh, Bert Aerts. Welcome, Bert. Hello. Hello. And Bert works at the uh, Wilhelmina Children's Hospital. Uh, He's a pediatric pulmonologist. Um, We're going to explore what that really actually means, Mm -hmm. not sure yet, but um, he's also the coordinator of our SUMA, so the Selective Utrecht Medical Master that we have, that um, four-year master. Um, So pediatric pulmonologist, Bert.
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be here because this is a topic that really is close to me and my my interest, etc. Um, I'm a pediatric pulmonologist that means that after your medical study you specialized in pediatrics and if you think that's not enough for me <laughs> you do a further super or sub specialization to be a pediatric pulmonologist and that means that you' as a pediatrician you are especially um, interested and experienced later in lung disease so pulmonology means lung disease pediatric means uh, a children's doctor so a pediatric pulmonology is a doctor for children with pulmonary or lung problems. And is that wow. typically cystic fibrosis or...? Uh, well, that's of course, it, it's the third line as you call it, it's, so it's not uh, mm. a GP, it's not a pulmonologist or a pediatrician working in a general hospital, but you work in an academic hospital. And so that means that it's not for the normal asthma, for but for the specific or very serious asthma it's for uh, congenital uh, airway or lung problems so children are born with problems sometimes also very severe and indeed one of the specializations especially in Utrecht is cystic fibrosis in Dutch slimeziekte', which means that all the secretions from your body especially of the lungs and your gastrointestinal tract are so solid that they are not easily uh, cleared so give um, problems in digestion for the gastrointestinal tract, give problems in infections and uh, lung disease for the lungs. And it's a disease which is quite famous. It's quite quite famous in uh, Utrecht. It's one of the most severe and um, uh, most prevalent uh, um, genetic diseases in the Caucasian race, so in the Dutch people especially. And uh, it has a very bad, or it had a very bad prognosis. I always say that my age is the prognosis of a child with cystic fibrosis. So when I was born, the prognosis was very bad, and now I'm almost uh, old. Uh, <laughs> the prognosis has really almost. improved. <laughs> it's a, it's an audio podcast, so <laughs> we'll, we
1: will have to <laughs> the listener guess your age. Uh, uh i was just
0: wondering, maybe just for the record, why did you choose to do this kind of specialization in oh, disease?
3: That's a bad story for people working in the academic hospital. Oh, really? Hmm. I choose to be a pediatrician because, of course, I, I love to work with, uh, with children and uh, I have a special interest in uh, pediatric disease. But to be honest, I chose pediatric pulmonology for two reasons. One of my best friends was a pediatric pulmonologist, so it was quite easy to get used to that, mm-hmm. but the second thing is that I thought if, I, if there's one thing that I don't want to do is to work in an academic hospital
1: mm.
3: so I want to choose a specialization that I can practice outside of the academic hospital, outside of the university hospital so mm. in Den Bosch or in uh, Alkmaar <laughs> <in Eindhoven>. <laughs> or in Eindhoven <laughs> but not in a university hospital and sometimes things... And that's one of the things that I really teach uh, students also. Don't be too focused, too fixed on one uh, future job. Uh, be open because be happy and be um, um, be easygoing in a job that sometimes brings you not what you expected, but brings you more.
0: We can end the podcast. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, beautiful. And I, I, uh, I know that you're. Uh, so we've been in, uh, engaged in, uh, um, in, a, in a group that worked on um, uh, mental well-being, well resilience mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. So um, why uh, this, especially this topic, has your uh, yeah. interest?
3: Well, um Well. Um, I'm involved in medical education since uh, almost 25 years here in Utrecht and um, I had several roles and one of the roles was a so-called preceptor which is a combination of a, of a teacher and a coach or a tutor or a mentor and what I saw really happen is something that one of my students called and I, think, I still think and uh, Harold knows it, it's a beautiful word, bevlogenheidslackage which is not a word for leakage of enthusiasm that I, that I saw, that I felt in students that um, were selected to, to do this summer study. And if you want, I can, to, of course, tell you something more about summer. They really are selected from a big group of students, and they are so happy to be selected to, can, to be able to start this study. And then they start a study... And within a few months sometimes you saw the leakage of passion and sometimes even leading to dropping out or to have a burnout, to interrupting your study. And I said, what happened? What is happening in these students? And Of course these students also said to me, what's happening? What's happening to me? Why am I leaking? Why am I leaking passion? Why am I leaking enthusiasm? What makes that happen? Mm-hmm. And that was the reason for me, with a former SUMA student, to, um, to write a, prop- uh, a proposal for research. And that brought me to the research that I've performed with this student, and it also brought me in the group was all together about veerkracht or uh, resilience.
0: Yeah. Did you already got an answer on the why of the leakage of the passion of the students
3: well um it was a time that i think it was some some five years ago when there was more and more interest everywhere around the world in normal society but of course also in students and in education for this subject because there was a dropping out sometimes with 10 15 percent of students but also of residents of specialists in the medical sector uh, section and um, nobody knew really what happened, what was happening It said well it's a, it's a sign of this time it's, uh, it's a sign of evolution and it's uh, something which is maybe combined to media and to uh, we always want to be the best and uh, without standing together with somebody who is maybe somewhat better than you are uh, you see in uh, multimedia what is expected uh, because uh, nobody shows clothes who is too fat or too thin or too ugly. No, they see the models and they see what they really should reach. There is no eye, there is no attention for everything that's normal. Mm-hmm. We only go for the supernormal. And I think that brings um, disappointments, that brings exhaustion, and uh, that was happening. But what was really the reason, or what, what, what was the mix of reasons, what you could do to intervene or to prevent, nobody knew. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason for us to do both a literature study to see what is happening in prevention or treatment, but also to do um, a research within our own population of summer students, looking what factors could uh, uh, lead to, but also what factors could maybe prevent or treat. Uh, burnout symptoms and then we looked at uh, symptoms and uh, um, problems in within the student, him or herself, but also in his surroundings and maybe also in the education atmosphere, the education environment. And uh, that brought us some, uh, some things that were uh, recognized also from literature, but also maybe some things that were um, uh, really summa uh, or Utrecht specific.
1: What was the most surprising finding that you had in this study?
3: The I think the most important finding uh, for me was that um, after a, having a questionnaire we selected some students that were really burnout prone and some students who really had no problem at all. And in both uh, groups we studied, okay, what makes you so burnout prone? Mm-hmm. And And the other group, what does protect you? And after that, we did that with interviews. And the first interview, we asked a student who really had a burnout problem, what do you think that we as education uh, developers should do to prevent burnout? And the first answer of the first patient, uh, sorry, Student? Oh, my God, <laughs> there I go. <laughs> Combined academic track. Yeah. Uh, the first answer of the first student was, put away that button. And I said, "My God, put away that button. What do you mean by put, put away that button? And she said, when I have an exam and I go to what we call OSIRIS, which is the site where you can see what your, uh, what your grade or what your uh, achievement is, you put on a button, and you see my grade in Dutch is, for instance, 7.3. And then you think, okay, maybe that's good. But the next button, and that was the button she was talking about, was a button compare. And then you could see that the 7.3 was within the lowest 20% so of to her the year. Other compare, students. compare, compare. So she said, put away that button, don't compare. And also, she said, go away... Stop with the quali- the, the quantitative um, judging of exams, of performances. Go to fail past.
0: Do you actually recognize this, uh, Like Did you ever compare your grades of your s- tests to the ones of your peers? Kind of always, I guess. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because after
2: an exam, like... Um, when you haven't even received your grades so yet, you're kind of comparing answers, and then um, sometimes we're still with the books or just discussing them, and then um, you already know kind of like a bit what your grades going to be, or w- whether you did well or not in comparison to other people. And then of course once you've got your grade, you you kind of discuss that with your peers as well. It's just like a n- very normal thing, but not only with grades. I think just with achievements in general because of course you have linkedin right now and everybody's posting their highlights and of course not only on linkedin but also on instagram and i think that comparison contributes to a lot of like anxiety and insecurities just not only among students but just in society in general
0: yeah, yeah. so you also feel for your for you as a person that it um costs you some anxiety or stress yeah yeah. No? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So do you think that we should do something about it? Like about that button. Did you already actually get rid of it? Uh, uh
3: yes. Um well maybe you know Ola Tancate, who is a professor of medical education, and he is one of the proposers for uh judging a performance with so-called EPA. And oh, that means yeah. um an um an um to see if you think that a performer is entrustable, if the professional activity of this performer is entrustable. And that's a yes or no.
0: Because EPA stands for Entrustable entrustable Professional professional Activity. activity.
3: And the other thing is that we uh, really want to go away from cum laude, with honor. And maybe my answer on the question of Harald should have been maybe that the most important thing that I think is that uh, the selection process of medical students is something that is really selecting students that are burnout prone.
0: Yeah, I think not only medical students, also the research masters here. Yeah, yeah. But it accounts, yeah.
3: When I was, I uh, I never forget, I don't know if Harald was there, but when I was appointed uh, an associate professor on this subject... I was in a room with all professors, so all people who are very much smaller than I am. But uh, I had to talk about this subject. And uh, in this meeting with 40 or 50 professors, they were all sitting with their laptop or with their iPad. They were looking at their mail and looking at their telephone. And then I had my first slide and in which I said that the only real selection criterion for a medical study is to be burnout-prone. Because we select on being burnout prone, and then all these <laughs> iPads were closed, the telephones went away, and I had the, and I, I had their attention, and that's I think they really recognized what I said, that there is a big problem. We select on being burnout prone, and we should maybe go back to selection just by <coughs> taking a, a straw. Yeah, and
1: it's not only that we select on burnout-prone, but we also um, put in place a system in which students, uh, even before the selection procedure, those who show the appropriate behavior, so they have, uh, well, in, in case of SUMA, which is a selective medical master, so we have to do a bachelor in mm. biomedical sciences or biology or pharmacy, rather um, life sciences bachelor and then you can apply for Shima but it's the same holds true for our own master's program so your ability of disease so they look have you how what were your grades for organ systems or uh, physiology and pathology and um, did you have the right package the, the, um, the course packages uh, have you shown your motivation for research and stuff like that so so it works back in time because yeah. only you will yep. only be enrolled as selected if you have the right profile and even for bachelor Programs with selection is even worse because it may uh, impact the lives of students in secondary education. So they have to volunteer work or stuff like that. And so I, um, well, I I heard that the the ministry is uh, now investigating whether they can uh, turn back the clock and um, uh, make lottery part of the procedure again, which would, I think, be a good uh, uh, process. Although most of the students are against it. What yeah. do you think? Str- strange yeah. enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I think maybe, I don't really know what would be the best option, but I think I can kind of understand why people are against lottery, because it's something out of your hands, and selection mm. is something you can kind of, like, or less, <laughs> a bit more control than lottery. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know that most of the, investi- the, the research that's done in, d- in the Dutch context is that uh, lottery is not more or less effective yeah. than selection, yeah. but mm-hmm. that it homogenizes and puts triggers in the system. Yeah, yeah.
3: And the lottery leads to more diversity, to more inc- to more inclusivity, and these are also the terms that we use every day. Yeah, we want to go for these facts.
1: So, um, we um, have recorded a uh, previous, ep- previously we have recorded an episode, which is not published yet, I guess, maybe uh, when this one is published, yep. uh, from a, a GCLS student, who uh, um, wrote an article on the UU website that the internship, um, the GCLS internship, should be graded with a fill or pass, and not with a grade. Because um, the grade puts pressure on the student, and. Um, uh, uh, also, uh, to compare yourself, uh, because the, the the grade eight is the expected grade for an internship, hmm. so uh, it makes you hunt for the grade rather than um, hunt hmm. for experience or learning. So we had a discussion with the student. So what's the alternative? And uh, and Lekenske was at the table, Renske de Klein, who's our uh, hmm. um, educational scientist, and she and she said, "Hey, um, the grade grades are the currency of the student, so it's their money, their." Uh, the, um, their, you know their currency. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what happens if you take away the currency? So, what will it do for a student? But what, uh, also, how can you um, um, make a st- distinction for yourself amongst other students? So, how do you stand out uh, if that's important? Mm. So, how can you show that you're good, uh, mm. that and that you're just not a mediocre student? And then she said, "Well, be, you can work with um, testimonials or." Uh, um, or certificates, and um, well, that's another currency, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, w- what do you think, uh, bet If you would uh, take away, let's say, the grade and mm-hmm. m- go for a, a, a fill or pass system, of which I know they use in Maastricht, uh, for mm-hmm. instance, in mm-hmm. the in the medical curriculum. So, will it will it be beneficial, or are we also losing
3: something? Um, I think it's beneficial. I think ultimately, it's beneficial. But I also agree with you, of course, with what you say that it could also lead to less passion for students to perform before and after their selection. But it will also lead to less inclusion of students who who never failed because what we also see is when you perform on the wow factor, I always say. Sorry, when you select on the wow factor, you also select students that never failed. They were always at least among the best in their primary school, in their secondary school, and maybe in their bachelor in my case. They never failed. So what I also did in the the time that I performed the study, I introduced them together with a professor in, in, in infection and immunity in a fail fast program. We wanted them to fail. We wanted them to acknowledge their failure. Because if you put together, in my case, the 40 smartest, best students of the world, one of the 40 is the the worst, huh? (laughs) And one is the second worst. So, always there is a failure. And they don't. They are not used to failing. And we organized together with, with Ruby Bond, the yeah. uh, the professor, and we did it together. So that I'm was great. I'm it's
1: so curious what this uh, course or no. <laughs> workshop. How, how yeah. does it work? How do you can learn someone to fail?
3: What we did was to um, well, and of course, in the eyes of the students that start a study, a professor. Maybe a little bit of coordinator. Wow, they, they have the wow factor for them. So we started with telling students about our failures.
0: <laughs> so, what's your biggest failure? <laughs> well,
3: should we stop the recording? Maybe? <laughs> no, my, my biggest failure, in my opinion, I'm very sportive. And my biggest failure is that. At the moment that I should perform in a volleyball career, being selected for the Dutch national team, I failed. I was so nervous that I could not play the ball like I did every day, so I failed. Which really influenced my sport career. I really, well, to be honest, I wanted to be a professional volleyball player. And at that moment, I failed. And this professor, he said, I, had, I have so many failures asking for reimbursement of all my studies, of all my research. Now after 10 times, I don't get any financial uh, funding. So I fail. And this was an eye-opener. And from that moment on, all these students who never failed told us that they had gone through a burnout period. Hmm. Told us that their Piano playing was not as good as everybody wanted. Told us that they once had only uh, a six or a seven for mathematics in the second uh, year of. So then the failures came. They didn't really recognize the failure.
0: Subjective failures, six or seven for math. Okay,
3: everybody, (laughs) there were a lot of tears in this class. But the failures came. And we talked about the failing, and we talked about accepting from each other, and especially accepting from yourself, that you can fail. It takes, it takes away, I hope, and I think it did, a lot of stress around failing, and always performing to the best you can uh, achieve. I, thought, I think it was very fruitful, the, the Fail Fast workshop, mm-hmm. and also brought them some resilience, I hope.
0: So now that we, we've explored quite some things on things that the system cooperates or so the system consists of that may contribute to, to worse mental health of students. So it's like the pass and, gra- pass and fail grade system maybe could be beneficial or that we should get rid of the grading system. Uh, and the social media pressure, uh, but now I'm looking uh, at Lika. do you have any additional factors that you maybe experienced in your studies that you think that the system Contributed maybe to, to your mental health um, in a worse way, in a bad way? Um,
2: I think just that um, mental health is something that people don't really talk about. And um, yeah, just that it's, it's difficult to talk about something like that. Maybe like a solution for that would be to um, uh, provide more information uh, just among students, among professors about mental health and the different manifestations, because it's also very difficult to, like, recognize uh, that somebody is struggling mentally um, because it's not, like, a, v- a visible kind of disease. Like, for instance, when you've broken your leg, it's it's obvious that you're mm-hmm. sick, but when you're depressed, you can still smile and seem mm-hmm. happy. So um, maybe a bit more education about that or just... Um, opportunities to talk about
0: that more also with like peers and stuff mm-hmm. um so, so the university w- lacks of uh, opportunity for you to talk about your mental health
2: um i think there are more and more opportunities i think they're doing more right now mm-hmm. um but i think it could still be improved yeah No. Yeah. okay
1: do you remember what uh Flortje said in the first episode so um, so we asked in the in the final round what should we get rid of in the, uh, or what should we improve, and she said, stop with individual grading. So, go for group uh, products and group corporations. Learn people how to deal (laughs) with (laughs) people that are struggling, or at least have a discussion on that. And um, um, so, it it stayed in my mind. We're never going to convince our um, uh, board of examiners on Mm -hmm. group grading, I guess, but the idea that you have to perform as an individual, Um, and that this more or less hampers uh, the group process or may not help the group process anyway. What do you think?
3: I totally agree. I totally agree. And I really want to add to that because you are telling something very important. Uh, You are much younger than we are, but we know that 40 years ago, talking about your mental problems, that was not done. You didn't do that because that was leaking didn't do that. I'm very happy that nowadays to more and more students from all ages from all grades are really willing to talk about their mental problems and I think that's one of the really real victories in this in this field that we have reached. I don't know what we did but there is more openness there is more more willingness in the student to talk about it, to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and that's so important. I think that's really the beginning of uh, treatment and prevention.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think if some of the students is now listening and is thinking, like, hey, I really would like to talk about my problems, where can they actually do that in university? Because we have the student psychologists Mm -hmm. where they could go to, um, although they have quite a lengthy wachtlijst. Waiting list. Yeah, yeah, waiting list. So, um, what are other opportunities? Maybe, Lika, maybe do you have experience with something in university where you can talk about it, or um, have you talked about it with peers or professors? Uh, well, I talk about it with like friends, but
2: like not with um, other students as much. So, maybe mm-hmm. there should be a bit more room for that in the curriculum because, of course, you have these tutor groups in the first year, and maybe there is like there could be some options to um, organize meetings talking about, like mental health among mm. other students. Because Yeah. yeah.
1: The, on on the, the study guide that we have for the graduate school, and I know it's also, also there for the medical curriculum, we have like a, a flowchart where it's more like a leaf, uh, like a flower with different leaves where you can see what, um, what kind of well, um, support systems we have. It varies from student coaches. So which is very informal or, or um, academic counselors, which is usually for uh, also problems with your education to let's say more uh, a psychologist or a, so we have a there's rather a big um, platform, I guess, for different forms of support, but not within the curriculum. And I uh, really um, uh, take that uh, to okay. my heart, actually. So how we could, Improve that, and maybe make some kind of uh, small groups yeah. that, uh, like uh, intervention groups.
3: Yeah, and there there is there is yeah. a lot, and I think it's also important for every student that listens now to be aware that it doesn't have to be within the university community. No, definitely. Yes. If they think I go to my general practitioner and I go to a first line psychologist or whatever, that's okay. And uh, if they say I want to talk to my to my mentor, that could that's also okay and could be the start. You go to to your student, go to a student advisor, or maybe go to a colleague, go go to a colleague student, be vulnerable. So show what the problem is, and we, in this whole university community, everybody wants to help you, and Mm -hmm. that's, I think, the most important. Whatever in this flowchart you Mm -hmm. are looking for, or whoever you're looking for, all people are available, and all people are willing to help, and I think that's, most important
0: yeah definitely
3: beautiful
1: I think we do a closing round Um, yeah I think so too okay Niki what do you think what's your take-home message
2: Um, I think the message that being vulnerable is okay and that it should be encouraged to show vulnerability is a very good take-home message Mm -hmm.
1: yeah beautiful yeah, the, we we will get the last turn. <laughs> <laughs> so he can think long. Yeah. yeah. Well, he doesn't need that. But Evelina, what do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I think there were um, what you mentioned that we should really take the notice of Lika to our hearts, that we should really think of ways to include this into our curriculums. So that is a more formal way, maybe in the beginning for students to open up the conversation, to to let them know, like, hey, it is okay to talk about it, and you know. Um, give them some space to do so and then maybe enhance them to do it also in their own time with peers, with, I don't know, professors, with who um, uh, they would like to talk about it. So, yeah, I think we should really look for ways in to include it. And I will actually take it with me when I'm talking about the new profile um, uh, uh, development for coming February that we can maybe take it along yeah. right away. So, yeah, we should do it.
1: OK, I promised to give better last turn, so I'll, I'll take this one now. Um, what I'm thinking of is that we should um, stop celebrating excellence, which is, I think, was b- part of the mission of our university yeah, a few years ago. It's now um, a more modest one. But we do have the tendency to celebrate excellence. We like it if our kids have high, high grades or go to um, um, pre-university education or to a university that they're good. So I take this also as a father. So mm-hmm. even if you're uh, average or that's uh, great, you're a beautiful person. And I think this is something that is very deep in our system, that we um, celebrate um, intelligence and excellence. And uh, it's very hard to take that out because it also puts pressure on our kids, on our um, Uh, on our education system and on our
3: students, so
1: um,
0: yeah.
3: Nice. I'll keep it short. Embrace your vulnerability and fail means a first attempt in learning. It's the first attempt to improve yourself and not to be disappointed in yourself.
0: Lovely.
1: Yeah, thanks. Okay, Mieke, thanks for being here again. <laughs> You'll be, become my <laughs> <a> third. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, <laughs> you will. And, and, uh, yeah, it's great to have you again. Yeah, good luck with your internship um, and uh, this year. Bert, thanks for joining us okay. and sharing your ideas and uh, um, experiences here. Evelina. Harold. Thanks, again. thanks, and uh, of course, special thanks to our listeners, and um, we're looking forward to uh, have you back in our fourth episode of Mental Wellbeing. Thank you. If you need support or a conversation regarding this podcast, please refer to the advice and counseling page of our GSLS student site for more and detailed information.